Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. I'm back as your host, and my name is Clay Wright, and I am very happy to be back here with the one and only Pastor Jim Minling. <laughs> well, no, I, I think I think you're right. I don't think there's another Pastor Jim Minling. It's uh, it's great to have you back, Jim. Hey, great to be back. And uh, it's excellent to have you back uh, preaching. I I've uh, I, I loved your sermon on Sunday, and uh, I had a lot of fun uh, filling in in the in the gap. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was I was really curious where you would take the getting to know Jesus series yeah. and I have not been disappointed. <laughs> so good, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, awesome, man. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where, like what, what's been going on with you these past couple of weeks? Um, I've been on vacation. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We were, uh, we have a friend who has a house down in Florida that she has all kinds of flowers. And she's like, if I, it's, it's so hot right now. If I, leave my house and don't water the plants uh you know they'll, they'll all die so would you guys be willing to take a vacation for free uh i mean we have to get down there but you can stay at my place and it's a beautiful place and we're like hmm, let's think about that <laughs> a free mm-hmm. place five minute walk from the ocean all we have to do is water plants i think we can do that <laughs> yeah oh yeah so it was it was wonderful well as a person who has a lot of plants in my household i'm sure she was very appreciative because uh, we, we- the Florida sun, your wife knows this, I'm sure, really well. The Florida sun just dries out those plants so fast. I mean, there were plants that she wanted us to water morning and night. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you serious? But then you get into the, the summer Florida sun and you get it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So you got to know the Florida heat. I did. Uh, and we started the series getting to know Jesus and continuing in, in the book of Luke. Well, my vacation was really inspiring. It, it, it prompted worship. I was worshiping God for air conditioning. And I was worshiping God for, for breezes off of the ocean. And I was worshiping God for the beauty of ocean. Yeah, and yeah. So, yeah, that's not in Luke 4, but... No, well, yeah, at least not in my translation, you know. Um, but we're it, it's great to be back in Luke uh, 4 and continuing with this series and I, I loved the interplay between something that was in, in my text, which was the people of Nazareth receiving Jesus' first sermon in the book of Luke mm-hmm. and, and really missing, the, missing the, the boat on who he was, you know, just yeah. uh, missing him. And yet we come into these next vignettes, these first vignettes of Jesus ministering outside of, you know, including teaching, but outside of that as well. And we find these other creatures, these other beings who know him all too well. And so you have these people who maybe should have known him, but didn't. And then you have the demons who know exactly who Jesus is. Isn't that crazy? It's, I just found that so fascinating. Uh, But um, as we're getting to know Jesus with the gospel of Luke, you, you pulled out on Sunday these three elements that, that Jesus uses to introduce himself to people that Luke wants to bring to the front mm-hmm. to help us to get to know him as the reader. Mm-hmm. And that was that Jesus is teaching, that he's providing deliverance, and that he's healing. Um, and very early on in the sermon, sort of connected with the idea of the series in general, you made the comment that there's a difference between what you know about Jesus right. and how well you know him. Mm-hmm. C- could you unpack that a little bit? Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, and I, I was kind of toggling between your sermon the week before, mm-hmm. you know, with these people who did know Jesus, you know, very well. They grew up with him. Mm-hmm. And and that actually caused them, as you pointed out so well, um, to have a lot of misperceptions and misconceptions. Right. And so they've got not only misconceptions about who Messiah is, they also have misconceptions about Jesus. And instead of those meeting, they <laughs> went right past each other. And they, you know, like they didn't they didn't see any connection right. between the, the Messiah they believed and hoped for, and waited for and anticipated, and the one who was right in their midst. Yeah. So I'm toggling from from the, your work in in Nazareth and that that teaching to today where uh, 
it's really easy for a church like ours that's a Bible church uh, to be so caught up in Bible studies and listening to sermons and good things, gathering biblical knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's good stuff. That's, that's one of the things we're supposed to do. Um, but somehow missing the the point of all the biblical knowledge, you know, and falling prey. I didn't use this language, but uh, falling prey to what Paul says that the knowledge puffs up, mm. and in the gathering of that knowledge, we get puffed up, and instead of it making us more humble and saying, "Jesus, I want to know you better," mm. we kind of get full of ourselves. Look how much I know, and we actually miss who Jesus is. Yeah, which is. You say, well, how could that happen? You're gathering all this information. Exactly. How could that happen? And yet it does right. again and again. I think my first time that I was really the most impacted by this was studying a theologian named Paul Tillich in seminary. Hmm. And Paul Tillich uh, is, is dead now, but was had a brilliant mind, systematic theologian. And I was just so captivated didn't didn't agree with some of the things he said but he made me think and i was captivated by the things he wrote captivated by his 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 view and i'm like wow and then one day in our class the professor talked about paul tillich's life and that he he did not look like a christian at all and not that chain smoking means you can't you're not a christian but he was a chain smoker you know Mm. and and uh he he, he was a person who told off-color jokes. And I'm like, well, he sounds like a guy who works down at the, the docks, you know, Boston Harbor, where I used to work, you know. This is a, theolo- a Christian theologian. Right, right. And again, a brilliant one who, I mean, he could quote scripture left and right and, and could dance circles around me theologically, philosophically, and many other ways. But he clearly did not know or love Jesus. And I remember mm. being so impacted by that. I was a young, naive theologue, you know, and I, I just thought, you know, everybody who comes to know Jesus loves him, you know. But, and uh, I, I, I was fascinated by, I'd love to know his story, his arc. Were you always like this? Did you get jaded? What happened to you? Right. How do you traffic in the, the, the language of, the, of Jesus in the Bible? And know so much, but clearly not know Jesus. And again, just so we're clear, not because he's a chain smoker. It, it, was, it was lots of things about his life that the professor was talking about mm-hmm. that it was clear he's not following Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's not surrendering his life. He right. is living a, like a profligate life, you know. And so I, that, really, that really struck me as a young seminarian. Uh, I'm sure I had seen that... Uh, that tension, that disunity before, but it really impacted me because here I am, you know, launching a, a career of teaching Jesus and knowing Jesus. And here's a guy who's light years ahead of me, and yet he doesn't love Jesus. Uh, so, so over the years, I have, you know, I've laughed and seen uh, people who you know, go to Bob Evans and every Wednesday morning for a Bible study, and they are great knowledge students of the Bible, but they're mean. They're stingy, they're gossipers, you know, they're, and it's like, wait a minute, weren't you just the guy who was <laughs> waxing eloquent about your Bible knowledge and, and our Bible study this morning at Bob Evans, you know, and now you're gossiping about so-and-so, you know, it's like, wait, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, the more we, this is one of the unfortunate things about being in the church, the more you're in the church, the more likely you're to see this disconnect where somebody knows a lot about the Bible and yet it doesn't seem like it's reflected in their their character and they're they're becoming like Christ. Yeah. Um, so, um, and you know, I, I wonder if that's part of my my lifelong motivation to you know to to become Lord of Christ and to make that like one of the themes mm. of my ministry that you know it, 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 spiritual growth can't just be gathering information. Mm. It can't just be saying I haven't missed my devotions in twelve years. It can't just be checking boxes of good things. Right, it's got to get reflected in your life, mm. and um, so absolutely, absolutely, and 
yeah, there's you're you have a phrase that you use often, and I think you used it on Sunday even that tra- uh, information does not equal transformation. I don't think I did say that. I, that's that's one of my favorite. But yes. oh yeah, okay, maybe I'm. I I, I know I was. You were reading so engaged earlier, that you were but... actually thinking what I was thinking. Clay, <laughs> wow. I was yeah. I was intuiting, <laughs> uh, but that that's so true that yeah. what we know, you know knowing more about jesus does not automatically make us like jesus right. which is that that tension that you were talking about right. and if we think that it's just a game of trivia then we can be sedated we can be plateaued we can be sidetracked because well why would i want to be transformed when i've already been informed <laughs> uh which is a, such a horrible dangerous uh-huh. tragic place to be yeah. Because you're so close, but so far, you know, the, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, so close, mm-hmm. so close, but so far. Yeah. And so it, this prompted in me a, another question, which is, um, okay, so information doesn't equal transformation, but does information play a role in transformation? Mm. You know, does what we know about Jesus um, have a relationship with how well we uh, know him or how familiar mm-hmm. or how intimate we are with him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, we, we could go, I got this question three different, four different ways, you know, just the, the, think about the, the root of both of those words form mm-hmm. that you're being formed. Um, you know, when, when we talk about spiritual formation, we're talking about the whole being, you know, so I, my mind is being formed. I'm gathering yeah. information. And as I gather information, that's supposed to impact, you know, my character, my beliefs, my, my, the things that I, um, my convictions, my will even, you know, so it, it starts with information. That's for most people. That's the, the, the way, in, you know, transformation begins to happen to us is through our minds, through us grasping and, you know, understanding, you know, who Jesus is, what he's said, what he's done. Um, you know, the way God has made us in his image is that we communicate with our minds and our, and our understanding. So we, we, as we grasp that stuff, somehow there's got to be a, a fuller assimilation. So it's not just staying up here. I'm pointing to my brain. Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember the, uh, you know, over and over and over and over again during my education hearing, you know, we've got to bridge the, the, the gap between the, the mind and the heart. And they would put their hands you know, next to someone's head, their temple, and the other hand next to their heart. And that huge, it's 18 inches, and yet it's a huge gap. It's a huge chasm for some people. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yes, we want to gather information. We want to be hungry for information. We want to learn facts. We want to learn about Jesus, gathering information about him. How is Jesus different than, you know, everybody else? And what? And also this this study how is Jesus the same? You know, because for, for, for so long, people painted Jesus as a blue-eyed, English-speaking, you know, Caucasian mm-hmm. male. And you we know? even have, that's one of the portraits of Jesus <laughs> on know, our cover art. But, and it's so prolific. I, I, I was doing a little research on it in preparation for uh, my sermon. And yeah, it's uh, it's for a little hundreds bit tragic. hundreds of years. Yeah, so... It just shows how egocentric we we are. We we uh, God God made us in His image, and we return the favor. Yep, that's <laughs> we right. Make Him in our image, um, and so we want to. When in learning about Jesus, we also want to learn about how He was like every other first century Jew. That's right. He wouldn't have stood out mm-hmm. in a you know in a lineup. You know, <laughs> he right. didn't look holy. He didn't look different. You know, uh, so even that is information we want to learn about Jesus mm-hmm. but but obviously we want to move beyond that so um if for any, for the kind of people who think we well, you know I just want to feel Jesus you know I don't need to know anything you know that's a really unfortunate statement because you don't believe that is really true you don't believe that about anything else in your life you know, there, there's you can't get along without some knowledge, right? You know, so what, what that usually is a smokescreen for is I don't want to, you know, do the hard work of Bible study, or I don't want to do the. I, I'm not a theologian, theologically inclined person, so I'm just satisfied to on experiences and feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, no, God made you in His image. 
that includes your emotions, includes your will, it includes your your rational, your intellectual abilities, and so you want to embrace God, know God with all the ways He's made you. Yeah, so. and and uh, absolutely. Um, and thank God, you know, that we have those different capacities to know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about that a little bit before, but it's so good to have a mind. It's so good to be able to, you know, thinking about it as a privilege rather than a, a something that we're, ex, you know, as a, it's an expectation in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we, we don't want to make following Jesus or make knowing him overly complicated. Right. Uh, and that was a, a theme that came up through. Um, the, the adventure story that got shown on Sunday, which was a fantastic mm-hmm. and the subtitle of the book, the book's titled just breathe. And the subtitle has to do with, you know, following Jesus in like a slow, uncomplicated way yeah. or spending something time, along those spending lines. Spending time with Jesus in a slow, uncomplicated way. Yeah. And that one of my, one of the life group questions was why do we tend to make following Jesus mm-hmm. so complicated? Yeah. Um, yeah. C- can you speak to that a little bit? You know, what, where do we, where do we pass from so, sort of a genuine pursuit of maybe even theological study or just trying to do the disciplines or do the, do the five B's, do the six D, you know, doing the stuff that is you know really good and helpful. Where do we cross the line into you've just made Jesus unnecessarily complex. Mm-hmm. You, you've made following him. You, you've put stumbling blocks in people's ways. How, you know, where's the line there? Yeah, and as I, one of the things I said in one of the services, I don't remember if it was both, but I, I said, you know, Jesus is a complex person, mm-hmm. and yet following him doesn't have to be. Um, you know, j- just about the time you think you've got Jesus figured out, and again, go back to your ser- your great sermon a couple of weeks ago, you know, the box, you know, we put <laughs> Jesus in a box, and we have our beliefs about Jesus in the box, and, you know, our, our pet things, and, you know, it's Jesus is, doesn't not fit into a box <laughs> easily. Uh, he is a wild, you know, in a kind of a way. He's untamed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the reasons I love the Aslan references. Oh, yeah. You know, because such C.S. Lewis captures so brilliantly the the you know the, the the wildness of Jesus, and and yet not wild like you know I I'm a, I should be afraid of him because he's he might turn and eat me. You know, no, he's wild because he's unpredictable and he's untamed and he's not, you can't domesticate him, you know, mm-hmm. and he's bigger and stronger. And I love yeah. that. He's um, not, he's not, he's not safe, but he's good. Yeah. I think it's the line. It's uh, <laughs> so good. Was that Beaver that said that? I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was but... Mr. Mr. Beaver or whatever. Lucy and him. So, um, so I, I, Jesus is a complex person, uh, but he makes following him simple. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make it difficult. And I really believe, Clay, that one of the reasons why we make it complicated is because we will not obey Jesus. Mm. And if I, yeah. if I live in a life of passive disobedience... I begin to lose intimacy with Jesus. Mm. I, I begin to lose connection. And Jesus's easy yoke suddenly becomes hard, but not because Jesus made it hard or because following him is hard. It's because I won't obey him. I won't trust him. Mm. It, can, it, beca- it can be that simple. Yeah. And this is why we sometimes quote Jesus, you know, if you don't become like a little child, You'll never enter the kingdom of God. Well, what's Jesus getting at there? He's talking about the, the way a, a child trusts. There's a there's a, a level of of you might say niavte, or you might just say um, uh, I'm looking for just the right word. Uh, uncomplicated is not bad, but it's you know, they haven't been burned yet. They haven't mm-hmm. gotten cynical. What, what's what? It's not it's it's not just niavte. Um, idealistic could be, um, but sometimes idealism sounds like a pipe dream. Right? Um, doesn't have to be, but it's a just purity, it's, innocence. Like yeah, that, yeah. Oh, that's innocent. That's the sure, word. Thank sure. you. Yeah. yeah. So there's an innocent. A child has an innocent trust. You, mm-hmm. They haven't yet realized that the world can be complicated, and and I can't trust people, and, and th- things might I might get, I might get hurt. 
Mm. You know, when I first time I told my son to jump off the stairs into my arms, <laughs> you know, he, he jumped without batting an eye. But he couldn't. He couldn't imagine a world where Dad wouldn't catch him. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's my wife Andrea's like, "Don't do that. He's going to get hurt." Because she knows that I could drop him, or she knows she, she because as a, a, an adult, she knows there's all these things that could happen or right, that this right. might happen. But Ryan was innocent, like. My dad loves me. He believes the best in me. I'll do whatever he says. Mm-hmm. Well, why wouldn't I? You know, that's, that's right. the kind of innocence that Jesus was looking for. And and when we passively disobey and and get trained by the world to to withhold our trust, we introduce a complexity in our relationship with Jesus. And that kind of complexity is what f- frustrates people and confuses people. And in some cases, in many cases, it's brought on by themselves. Yeah. But we, we make it mm-hmm. into something else. It's reminding me of, I, I think it's on the road to Damascus where Jesus says, Saul, Saul, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, um, is. Uh, we, Acts uh, 9. We kick. Yeah. And we, it, you know, Jesus wants to deliver us. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we put out, it's, it's like we're, our car, our car is going on the freeway. My dad used to tell me about how they would open up the car doors and fly them out to the side to slow the car down. <laughs> you know, and they would, it's like the, you know, the, you're putting out these like wind breaks right. resistance and uh that's us we're like yeah. whoa we don't you know yeah. we resist the move of god um yeah, yeah. wow yeah, we, we do so then um so, so jesus obviously wants us to know him he's he's about the business of revealing himself mm-hmm. and he does that as you pointed out through teaching he does that through uh delivering and through healing which was fantastic and, and we'll talk a little bit about more a little more about different components within that. But before we do, could you just speak a little more generally? How is it that as Jesus is teaching and delivering and healing, how does that help us to get to know him? Mm. Uh, Cause they're all, they're all in service to that aim, mm-hmm. but um, you know, bring us into that a little bit more. What does that look like? Well, I think, I think we understand more easily how learning about Jesus and how teaching can help us to get to know him better. We've already talked about that a little bit, but even without that conversation, I think most of us intuitively get that. Right. What we may not realize, and might be a revelation to some people, is that, huh, in in Jesus delivering me and healing me, I'm actually getting to know him better. And uh, how does that work? So how I imagine this working is, you know, I don't just learn that he has the healing power, that he has the power to deliver, but that is something that I learned, and that's amazing. You know, mm-hmm. to be delivered is is amazing. I I was telling you one time about how I was delivered from an addiction to drugs, mm-hmm. and the 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 liberating feeling, the exhilaration of mm-hmm. I'm free from that. You know that 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 language, liberation, freedom. You know, you jump for joy. That that's all the way you feel when you're liberated, and you feel an attraction to the liberator. You feel gratitude. You know, there's there's an in, an intimate connection that happens there because you yeah. set me free. You know, I love you. I'm thankful for you. And, um, and I think that there's part of that with, you know, the, the liberation of Jesus when he heals us, when he delivers us. It's, it's, it's recognizing that that power was working in my life. I think then it moves to, um, especially the way Jesus healed, he didn't do it in a kind of a you know mass way. There's not one record of Jesus kind of sweeping his arm over the crowd, and everybody gets healed. Yeah, and, that's interesting. And I love this text. It said something <laughs> like, "And laying his hands on what each one." Yep, that's just a beautiful phrase. One by one. Jesus looks him in the eye, lays his hand. And just think, that's just a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. He's coming to me. He's coming to me, you know. He lays his hand on me and healed me. And so there's a sense of, of affirmation and dignity. He, 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 he healed me, yeah. you know. And uh, I'm glad he doesn't do the mass healings. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an individualness about that. And so that feel, I feel known. I feel seen. And when a person feels seen, and known they feel loved 
Yes. That, that's just a, it's just a basic relational equation. When a person <laughs> feels seen and feels mm-hmm. uh, known, they feel loved. Yeah. And so how, how do we love people? We see them. We, rec- we acknowledge them and we, we ask questions about them and we show interest in them. That's how love flows. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you know, when Jesus sees me and, and knows me and heals me and I feel loved by him. That's Intimacy right. has happened. There's, I used to have a quote on my office that said, being known and being loved are so similar that most people can't tell the difference. <laughs> uh, right along these lines. Love it. Love it. And I, I thought of, as you were talking about the intimacy that deliverance begets, mm-hmm. there's a sense in which we even see that in our text as Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, mm-hmm. she gets up and she starts serving. Serving, yeah. And it's there's a way to read that and that I've gotten frustrated with before, which is, oh Jesus, this is kind of weird. You're making her well so that she can make you know make you dinner or whatever. <laughs> you're hungry. Kind of like that a weird, you know. <laughs> but but I don't. I think this is maybe a better way to see oh, it. Yeah. That she's responding to that being seen and known, yeah. and she wants to be close to Jesus, and so she responds and she helps and she invites and she. Uh, sits down with him and eats with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, that's and, really cool. And also in that text, um, just for your, your your little argument, you know, Jesus does not initiate that. They says they came to him and mm-hmm. said, you know, can you heal her? And of course. You know. Yes, uh, yeah, that's true. So, uh, and there's also that um, that scene from The Chosen. Uh, there's a whole episode actually where there's like a fireside chat happening amongst the disciples, but in the background there's this long line, and at the end of it there's a mm. tent that Jesus mm, is he's in, exhausted. and he's yeah. he's performing these healings right. all day, and you've got all these people waiting. Uh, I I really love how uh-huh. they depicted that because when we read. Uh, isn't it in our text? It says they brought everyone uh-huh. to to be healed by him uh-huh. who was sick in the area, mm-hmm. and the logistics of that is hard to imagine. Um, the, logistics, the logistics are hard for us to grasp and comprehend. Yeah. And so the, they've, they've tried to depict, you know, what would that look like? Just because of what you're saying, Jesus didn't just, you know, wave at everybody, mm-hmm. which I had never thought about that before until you said it. It's so interesting. And the, just the realities of every single person having their opportunity to sit with Jesus, to receive his attention and his healing. Well, and, and that, um, that crowd, you know, it just all it says is that they brought all who were, where is it? Um, what verse? Uh, I lost it. I mean, verse 40. Uh, when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. Yep. And yeah, as you talk about the logistics of that, you know, was that, was that a hundred people? You know, was that 200 people? You know, they didn't have medicine in those days. So mm-hmm. that's another thing we didn't talk about. This fever that 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 Simon Peter's mother-in-law had, you know, w- today we might think of that, oh, that's an inconvenience. She has a fever. But in those days, they were terrified of fever because they watched so many people get a fever, which is often a sign of an infection, right? There's no way to deal with that infection. And so the person dies. Mm-hmm. So a fever was a terrifying symptom and it basically meant death and uh you know we're, we're post penicillin people so yeah. we, we we can't imagine a pre-antibiotic a pre-penicillin world where people were, were so terrified of of you know simple things like fevers but you know how many different people were, were they all and as you talked about you know the logistics you know how did that play out and i i, I agree with you i love the chosen's depiction of that, that Jesus was, you know, and could have been exhausted from right. all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But for our conversation, it shows the care, it shows the love, yeah. and, the, and therefore it communicates the connection with Jesus. And I feel loved, I feel known, I feel uh, that I get to know him better. He loves me. Mm-hmm. And it feels good to be loved, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And yeah. So when you love me, I find myself loving you because I, I like being loved. Yeah. And I, I'm, it's the same way with Jesus. It feels good to be loved by Jesus. Amen. And, and that's, <laughs> I, I think that's an important point to pause on for even one minute because I, I think it, it's, it's, it's a hard balance as a pastor and as a, as a believer <clears throat> to say, 
like in, when I was preaching, I was talking a lot about there, there might be bad things that happen and, and Jesus may be still good in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet in, in this following text, it's all, it's this deliverance, it's this healing. It's this, Jesus loves us and it's good to be loved. And it's, mm-hmm. it's what we were created for. Mm-hmm. And so there's this dual reality that Jesus calls us to die. And yet, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about a conversation I had recently where someone was quoting someone else and I, I won't remember who it was but someone was quoting someone who said if you met jesus i think you'd like him and they were saying you know this is kind of like weak and you know jesus was challenging people all the time and you know we we've domesticated jesus too much and this is sort of an unhelpful way of thinking about it and i was sitting there thinking well but wouldn't we like (laughs) yes yes of course jesus calls us to hard things he calls us to pick up the cross but he's also merciful and kind Mm. and he loves us and he wants us to flourish and he wants what's best for us but demonstrating the difference between that and prosperity teaching Mm. is is um very difficult uh, I mean, it's, it's, there's a clear difference, mm-hmm. but it's a hard balance to, to say, Jesus loves you. He wants what's best for you. And for that not to manifest in people's minds as Jesus wants me to have all of my hopes and dreams fulfilled. Yeah. It's difficult. Um, well, and we, uh, we know where that's coming from, uh, honestly, and this is going to be very offensive to some people, but I doubt if those kind of people are listening to us, <laughs> but it comes from a very egocentric place. Mm. Because if it's a theocentric, if I really am centering my life around God, then I am not reading into God's will my own agenda. Right. I'm not bringing my list of things that I want him to do for me, heal in my life, take care of, get get rid of, etc., and turning God into a a genie or a servant of mine. Mm -hmm. If I am a theocentric person... And you know, a God-centered person, then I'm. I I do want His will, if even if that means me not being healed, right? Because you know, this whole faith healing thing, oftentimes it is crass egocentrism. Mm. It's all about me. I'm the center. No, that God is the center. Yeah, and you're His servant. And so it's just sometimes so blatant and so crass. I just want to scream. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, and, and, but people fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. You know? Yeah, it's that, you know, when we, the pursuit of magic is the pursuit of power that we can control. Mm-hmm. It's this, we want this quick, powerful, effective solution that's not going to cost us, right? That's the historically that's what alchemy was all about is we want to be able to get gold and all these precious substances without working for it Mm -hmm. and we treat god like that we treat him like magic because we want him to serve us and yeah well actually that's actually a connection with this text that we could also talk about Mm -hmm. that from the from the cutting room floor perspective that i never touched on and that is that this this not just a coincidence that these demons say i know who you are Mm -hmm. jesus of nazareth um, there was a belief that if you knew the name of a power, yeah. that you gained control over it. And so for this demon to name the name of Jesus, it's an attempt for him to gain power over Jesus. That's 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 a dynamic that's happening. And uh, <laughs> Jesus doesn't give any time to that. He doesn't even address that. Just, just get out, you know, <laughs> come out is what he says. And yeah. Uh, you'll see this in the book of Acts a couple of times. The, this, if you na- know the name of the power, the, the name of the deity, you know, the name of, of that magical charm, then you can gain power over it. And uh, Jesus not going to let that happen. Yeah, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that was another question I had reading this text. Um, down in, in uh, the verses you're talking about are chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 41. Hmm. It says, Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Yeah, I was referring to um, verse 34. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the similar kind of thing happens to ver- in verse 41. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but but go on with your question. Yeah. So, so uh, especially in that, in that second verse that I, that I just read, mm-hmm. there's this 
interesting phenomenon where, so if we're taking the text, and I haven't, I haven't studied the Greek of this passage, so I don't know exactly the grammatical connections here. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe you looked into it, maybe not, but that. Of course I did. Words, yeah. Well, I, I know you were. <laughs> yeah. But when it says, because they knew who he was. Mm-hmm. So, so Jesus is telling them to be quiet mm-hmm. because they knew who he was. Well, man, that's that feels like there's a lot of implications there. Jesus didn't want the demons proclaiming mm-hmm. to the people who his, what his identity was. And yeah. this yeah. is a phenomenon that if you study the Gospels, people will call the hiddenness of Christ, where mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, is it in Mark's Gospel especially? There's yeah. one of the guys, yeah. That where, where, well, John talks a lot about too. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and where Jesus seems to... Um, hide, hide his sure. identity, mm-hmm. and so and and yet we've been talking about how the whole Gospel of Luke is so that we can get to know him, mm-hmm. and the you know these miracles this is so that we can know Jesus, and yet he's saying no, don't don't say who I am. You know, what's going on with all that? Good, yeah, good question. There's there's two things, two ways we need to answer that, and both of these go together. The first one is is you know Jesus does not want anything from the the kingdom of darkness, the, the evil spirits, anything. Uh, from the demon world to be attesting to him. Mm. That's not where he gets his testimony. That's not where he gets his confirmation. No. Uh, you know, that's not that's not where he gets declared. So I don't want the testimony of a demon. Right. Uh, but secondly, and more importantly to me, is the strategic nature of Jesus's mission. That he knows that the people have, as you said, misperceptions of Messiah. And most of those misperceptions included a nationalistic military mm-hmm. hero who was going to help free them from Rome. So as soon as these people f- believe that Jesus is the Messiah, there's going to be a move to you know, force him to free them from Rome, make this a military thing, make this a political thing. And of course, that's not Jesus's gig. And so he knows that that kind of messianic misplaced messianic fervor will lead to his crucifixion and he's not ready for that Mm -hmm. he's got ministry to do he's got teaching to do he's got uh the gospel to spread and so very strategically jesus muzzles not just demons but also others Mm -hmm. because as soon as i let that cat out of the bag it's a ticking clock and i as he as he said no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Amen. You know, Jesus very strategically set his face towards Jerusalem and worked out the details for his own death. And even down to, you know, the, the, when the messianic message would get out. Uh, so instead of Jesus saying, instead of Mark the gospel saying, Jesus went into all Judea declaring the kingdom of God. Um, I'm sorry, instead of the, the, in Jesus saying Messiah is here, he said the kingdom of God is here, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that he, it was very intentionally hiding the, the messianic nature so the people wouldn't force him to be a military or political hero. So th- yeah. those two reasons, I don't want demons being my testimony and I don't want to fit into other people's agenda were the two reasons why he absolutely was keeping people from knowing he was the Messiah too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, uh, and that, that also gets us into, as we're looking at these um, exorcisms, the reality of Jesus's authority, yeah. right? I mean, this is a, and I haven't studied um, first century exorcism at length. So can you, t- like, was it um, abnormal for exorcism to work the way that it did for Jesus and is, you know, clearly he's displaying his power and authority. Um, Is it, was it unique to him or what was going on? Uh, What wasn't unique was that there were exorcisms Mm -hmm. Uh, that wasn't unique. It was how um, they were done. And again, actually the chosen is uh, really helpful here. They did their homework. This is one of the reasons why I respect the show they've done their homework and they have uncovered that it involved a series of incantations, mm-hmm. a series of, of prayers, a, a series of, of quoting things and having the right instruments. Um, if you remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, uh, there's, there's a little bit of that, you know, they're cutting themselves, they're, they're dancing certain ways they're chanting and 
And if they do these things right, then the God will respond, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, in a similar way, if I say the right words, if I do the right incantations, if I, you know, give the right amount of money, if I use the right ointment, you know, all these kinds of things that, that it had developed, then I can overpower this demon. And here comes this guy who just says, get out, mm-hmm. and they leave. No, that's, that's, that's why they're just like, the authority? What? Yeah. I mean, that is extraordinary. So because they were so used to other exorcisms or other attempts at exorcisms, it wasn't just that they came out. It was how they, you know, they, they came out so quickly with mm-hmm. just that, get out, and they're gone. You know, that yeah. that's authority, you know. That's right. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Which I, well, I love when we get into the story of the centurion who says, you know, I too am a man under authority. I know that when I say to one of my men, go, he will go. Mm-hmm. And when I say to one of my men, come, he will come. So Jesus, you just say the word. I just, <laughs> in fact, I think Jesus says to that about that, he was amazed. Mm-hmm. The same word that people are using to describe Jesus, they were amazed at his teachings, amazed at his words, amazed at his power. Jesus is now amazed about the centurion. I've never seen such faith like this in all of Israel. You yeah, know? Yeah. It's such a great line. I, too, am a man under authority. I know. You know it's oh, just, yeah. That's, woo. It's, oh, yeah. It's He had some nice early like Latin rhetoric going on there. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yet we know also, so, so we're, Jesus is revealing his authority, uh, but he's a, he has authority of over a lot of different mm-hmm. things, not mm-hmm. just demons. And yeah. so uh, I, I know, you know, one of, one of the things that we learn about Jesus in this passage is about his authority. Uh, can you bring us more into what, what kind of authority did Jesus have or does Jesus have? Yeah, that's, um, thank you for asking that question because um, the Bible speaks explicitly to this, um, th- this kind of authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of us might be familiar with what Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Mm. Well, what's the all? Um, well, we, here is some of the all. There are seven things that I, I, this is good cutting room floor material, seven things oh, yeah. that I did not bring into the sermon that the Bible says Jesus had authority. Or so it, he has authority to teach. Um, we see Matthew, Mark, and Luke all make that clear. We've seen it in our passage. They said such teaching and with authority, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then he has, we've seen in this passage, he has the authority to cast out demons. And then, uh, I love the story in Mark uh, 1 where uh, Jesus, uh, people bring uh, a, like a paralytic to Jesus. Yeah, it's the four friends. Because uh, I yep. always describe this as uh, the, the, the house was full, they couldn't get in. So four of a kind beats a full house. That's right. <laughs> so these four friends um, bring this guy and Jesus... Uh, just before he heals them, says, so you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Mm-hmm. And he prefaces it by saying, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? <laughs> He's just like, well, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because we can't prove that they were or weren't. We can see in an instant whether or not you can walk. <laughs> yeah. And it was such a stunning phrase. You know, mm-hmm. come on, Jesus, you're the best. And for him to, to, to then to say... And so you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I say to you, get up and walk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, ah, it's made for Hollywood. You know, has some just brilliant lines. Absolutely. But what we learn is, again, Jesus has authority to heal. He has authority to forgive. He says in John 5, uh, I have the authority to judge. Mm-hmm. Um, in John 10 and John 17, he says, I have the authority to give life. And then, and he, and in the, in the Great Commission, he is empowering us. So, when he says all authority on heaven and heaven and heaven and earth has been given to me, then he turns and says, "Now I, I empower you. I deputize you. Yeah. You have this authority. Go make disciples." And so, he's empowering and commissioning. So, you know, there's are there's are seven clear, you know, word for you know, clear word uh, pictures of how Jesus demonstrates his authority and and over creation you know we don't say he doesn't say the words but when Jesus calms a storm he has authority over nature mm-hmm. and the disciples are like who is this 
He commands the wind and the waves, and they obey him. What they're saying is his authority over nature. Right. Uh, so you know, these are just some of the things that we mean when we say all authority. Yeah. <laughs> and that can be... You know, authority can be an a, ter- a terrifying thing mm-hmm. to to come up against a person who wields that kind of authority. No kidding, is a frightening mm-hmm. reality, depending on the person that's yeah. wielding the authority. Exactly, and <laughs> mercifully, um, and awesomely, and gloriously, Jesus wields that authority mm-hmm. for our good and for yeah. His glory. Yeah. And so with goodness and humility. Yes. Uh, yes. And yeah. and so the the last thing uh, I wanted to talk about cuz we we've, we've got enough time for this, I think. Um but we we're, we're we're running low. <laughs> As always. Uh so Jesus uses his authority to heal um and not to uh you know to to, to heal to heal people um and that that's one thing that we see in this passage mm-hmm. i know that healing can sometimes be controversial you know people can ask does god heal today that's actually when, when we go through alpha one of the talks is titled does god heal oh, today yeah i've forgotten that and um and and maybe maybe you can speak to that a little bit there's there's obviously lots of wonderful things to talk about here. Maybe that's a good place to start. Does God still heal today? Yeah. What is that like? Well, like, like you said, there's so much to say there. Are, are we going to talk about um, uh, how demon possession, oppression works in this, in this podcast? And oh, how, how do we deal with that? There, well, we'll, we'll, I'll try to make it brief. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I believe absolutely that God heals. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want to turn this into a cessationist discussion where some people say that, you know, the miracles, including the miracles of healing, ceased after the apostolic age. I, I do not see biblical evidence for that. Uh, and furthermore, I see I have seen healings happen. And so it, right. based upon history and based upon my own experience mm-hmm. uh and based upon my study of the scriptures, I've seen a reason why the gift of healing should have been removed. Yeah. Um, so whether it's the gift of healing or whether it's just God's sovereign choice to heal, because those are two different realities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, healings definitely happen today. Yeah. And and not just physically, right? You know, right. I mean, right. It, what's really interesting to me is, it, and maybe you can confirm this. I'm I'm pull, I'm like dusting off some records from my biblical theology classes, but <laughs> the Greek sozo, yes. which is our word for salvation, salvation right? Do, it, can't it also be translated healing? Yes, oh yes, because the Bible sees back from the Old Testament days, the Bible sees the idea of of sin is it's, it's a sickness. Mm. We have we are sin sick. And sin has is, a, is diseased us, polluted us, and so this, this being saved is being spiritually healed, and then that carries over to the New Testament. Yeah, that, that language. So, um, you know, way beyond and way before any language of physical healing, the, the Bible uses this. You know, even the word shalom, the word of peace, is I got got healing in it. That's that holistic healing that's supposed yes. to happen in salvation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that healing, being holistic, I loved how you parsed out some different components mm-hmm. to right. our lives that Jesus heals. Yeah, and uh, what well, we talked about: spiritual healing, physical healing, um, relational, emotional. emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, I think our society is in desperate need of more emotional healing. And more relational healing. Uh, I see a lot more people suffering from lack of emotional and relational healing than I do people suffering from um, from from a lack of physical healing. Um, you know, there's just there's so much brokenness, there's so much woundedness, there's so much damage, and and you know we just don't grasp. You know, look, for instance, you know, I, I read a stat the other day, it just blew my mind. I, I've forgotten what the exact number was, but it was a number of, of women, girls, who were abused growing up. It's an astronomical percentage. And I just remember hearing that and being overwhelmed with grief and sorrow for the women. And I, and I know boys get abused too, but it's m- more often girls. Um, and just the, the, the sheer mm. percentage 
of girls who are have been abused and and we just have no idea how much damage that does so whether it's a boy or a girl you know it the, 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 we have no way of measuring that damage you know if you punch me in the face clay you, you know if you do a good job you might break my jaw or you're going to leave mm. a bruise or you know you're going to there's going to be a mark left yeah but where is where where do i see the wound in a person who's been you know abused we we don't see it and so for hundreds and hundreds of years we discounted it and even today we have no way of measuring that and so since we have no way of measuring the the depth of the wound the 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 breadth the the extent of the wound we're not really sure when a person has been healed because we don't we don't see a scar we don't see the wound being closed up mm-hmm. we, so since we can't do a good job of diagnosing the extent of it we're not sure about the healing and that's just so sad mm-hmm. but we do see all the evidence of the wounding in broken relationships you know i can't i don't trust anybody anymore i have a hard time believing this or believing that so the, the, the detachment and the um you know the 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 walls that go up and the so many people you know in marriages fight and argue because they're fear afraid of rejection and there, there's these deeper wounds that are really behind why i'm fighting with you right now babe you know but i don't see those wounds and i don't right. see the wounds in you and so we all we argue about is the groceries you know or you know this or that but they're really we're, we're having arguments about i'm afraid i'm scared i'm I don't want to be rejected again. Uh, do you see me as, you know, a, a, in a worthy way? You know, are you going to still love me? And I'm not sure I love myself. And I, you know, all these little tapes that are playing in the back of our minds that that cause us to act out of fear. Those are all woundedness, and we mm-hmm. have not been healed. And so it's actually sabotaging our relationships. We don't realize it, but my lack of healing is sabotaging my relationships. Yeah, and. Um, oh, it's, and so, you know, we need N E E D. We need more healing of emotional wounds, relational wounds, uh, those kinds of things. Yeah. And, and in the, in the context of your sermon, you know, what you're saying is, is as Jesus, we, we get to know Jesus as we experience him, mm, his healing power. Yeah. But I'm sure some people may be asking, how can I experience his healing power mm-hmm. so that I can get to know him? Yeah. And then, and, and, and then the, you know, the following question we can ask, how can we experience his delivering power mm-hmm. and, and talk about that as well? But you know, do you have any, any, sure. Um, you know, obviously this is on a case by case basis as to, you know, what is the thing that, uh, you are suffering from? What mm-hmm. is the wound? How did it happen? Um, and, you know, some of these things need to be addressed by professional counselors, but there are a lot of things we can pray for one another, you yeah. know, and so it, I find it helpful to, you know, actually name the the wound. Uh, some people are afraid to talk about this. You know, I don't want to go back and revisit that, but, you know, nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. Mm. So if you just stay in the general, you know, I, I had... Uh, a, a trauma in my childhood. Okay. I know we don't want to go visit that, but we need to. What actually happened? Name it, and you know, and and in naming it, now I can specifically address that because you know, if that if that wounding was let's let's we, we use the language of sexual trauma, let you know, let, let's say there was a sexual abuse that happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, you took my innocence away from me. You took. Um, my dignity away from me you know um you hurt me physically and so you know we can begin to address those particular things and oftentimes what happens in in children especially but it can happen in in people who as they grow older is that level of trauma uh produces in me and this is crazy but this is part of our fallenness it produces in me a, an attempt to try to account for that. Why did that happen? And, mm-hmm. and what we typically say is, I must have deserved that, or it must be my fault, mm-hmm. especially if it's an adult to a child. I must have done something wrong. And so I 
become shamed. I become a person who feels like there's something wrong with me. And I begin to believe I deserve abuse. I deserve to be mistreated. I'm not worthwhile. These are lies we tell ourselves. And so part of the healing can be, let's name that for what it was. And then let's say that was wrong. Mm -hmm. And let's address some of the lies that may, you may have told yourself, even if it was subconsciously and unconsciously about yourself. And let's address those and let's speak the truth. You know, you are a person of dignity. This, you did not deserve this. This was not your doing. Uh, This was an evil. This was wrong. This was, you know, a sin. And, and this was sin against you. This was perpetrated against you. To name those kinds of things, not for vengeance or not to cast blame, but to free you from the, you're blaming yourself and from the prison that you are living in. Yeah. And so, you know, those kinds of things can be prayed for and mm-hmm. addressed and named and, and healing can come and, and deliverance can come um, uh, through those, that emotional kind of healing. Um, and so, you know, when Jesus laid hands on people, he didn't just pray some general blessing. He said, you know, op- may your eyes be opened. Right. He was specific. You know, mm-hmm. there's a guy who's blind. Jesus is not saying, well, you know, give him a blessing. Well, he's opening specifically, <laughs> open his eyes. Right. Or he puts his hands on his ears. May your ears be unstopped. So mm-hmm. that specificity, that naming, this is what you're suffering from is not only helpful with physical healing, but also true for emotional healing. Yeah. So, um, you know, these are some of the ways that uh, we can be praying for one another, mm-hmm. um, anointing people with oil in the name of Jesus, yeah. and praying prayers of healing. Uh, I think that, that you know, even having, it, it may not be a professional counselor, but it, it might be. Counseling is wonderful. Yep. Just make sure everybody knows counseling is a beautiful thing, a great thing. Everybody should get counseling. And healing can happen through counseling. Absolutely. And healing can also happen through um, discussion with loved loved ones and oh, and being you know open and honest and free to share things. And there can be a kind of healing there. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think sometimes we need levels of healing. I love that story where Jesus heals yeah. the blind man in two stages. Mm-hmm. I, I love it because I think there are some things that we suffer from that might need several levels of healing. Yep. Um, so there's, there's, yeah. that's just a, a knee jerk. Um, I, yeah, um, as you're talking, I'm thinking back to some of my experience with counseling and mm-hmm. my levels of healing and mm-hmm. just how God has been gracious to me in that. Um, time does not you know, permit for us to get into all that, but absolutely. And, um, you know, when we're talking about these emotional wounds and trauma and you know, there's an easy segue sometimes into mental illness. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about these lies that we're believing about mm-hmm. ourselves, sometimes people think about that as the work of the enemy. Mm-hmm. And even as we're talking about healing, you're also using deliverance language. And so it's a real easy segue for us to ask, right. how do we detect mm-hmm. um, something that you talked about mm-hmm. on Sunday that could be troubling to people, which is the influence or the oppression mm-hmm. uh, of an evil spirit on believers in, in our lives. How do we, how do we detect that? And then, and then what, what do we do about that? Right. Yeah. Sometimes this, this question gets asked, uh, and is the illness that I'm suffering, is that demonic? Is that an evil spirit oppressing me or harassing me or, you know, influencing me? And one of the things I shared with the staff earlier today was, you know, there is no place in the Gospels where people bring to Jesus a person who has epilepsy or blindness or some disease, and Jesus corrects them and says, no, the problem isn't his blindness, he has a demon. Or his, her problem is not, you know, uh, she's deaf, she has a demon. Nowhere. Right. So Jesus sees a very clear distinction between a physical ailment a, 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 that needs to be healed versus a, uh, how a demon is working. Right. Now, I don't, when I say that, I don't mean that a demon cannot manifest itself in a way that creates a physical ailment, but I, I'm using that language to help combat the, the prolific teaching in the church that talks about all illness is due to a, a demon or an evil spirit. You know, 
I just don't think that there's biblical evidence for that, especially in the ministry of Jesus. <laughs> um, and so, you know, in every single case, when a person or people brought to Jesus a demon-possessed or demon-oppressed uh, um, person, everybody knew it was a demon, mm-hmm. you know? So, so it's not hard to recognize that's demon possession or that's demon oppression. It, it was people all knew it. Uh, now, today, you know, I was talking to a person yesterday who was wondering, am I crazy or do is it possible that I have demons uh, influencing me? Can they begin to tell me some things that had happened? And I said, no, I don't think you're crazy. I think those things are legitimate. I think those, those things are real. Yes, you may have a demon who is oppressing you and harassing you. Mm-hmm. And this person was a believer. And so I said, you know, we can cast that away because it's not in her. She's a Christian. But we can we can cast that away from you and protect you in the name of Jesus. You don't have to be a victim of that. You're not a victim. You're not powerless. And so... It, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. Is this something that person is dealing with because of experiences in their life? Is this a person who's dealing with this because there's a demon oppressing or harassing or influencing or an evil spirit? Is this something that's happening because um, uh, you've opened yourself up to demonic spirits through mm-hmm. literature or a game you were playing or a movie that you saw? Um, and so, you know, as we gain discernment on those things, then we can we can um, focus in on whether we want to cast out a demon or pray against a demon or uh, it's not about demons at all. It's just about, you know, you're having nightmares or you you have a physical ailment, you know, wh- whatever it is. We, we begin to get discernment about those things as we ask God and then right. we know how to pray for people. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, supposing that we identify... <laughs> identify um that hey you know this is a this is the influence of a of an evil spirit or of a demon um how do we you know could you could you spend maybe five five minutes or so addressing you know what do you do (laughs) when you when you recognize that um yeah so again it's dependent upon the the case but Mm -hmm. i'll I'll tell you some examples of things i've done you know i so a person said you know i think i might have you know evil spirits in my house i hear sounds you know you know, is, is my house haunted? Things like that. Um, so, you know, went over to their house and, you know, I said, you know, I can't, I'm not a ghostbuster. I can't tell you whether <laughs> your house is haunted or not, but right. um, I can pray against uh, any demon influence. And so um, there are things that happen in a space, let's say in a home. Uh, let's say that there was uh, someone who was practicing witchcraft or sorcery or uh, other kinds of things like that in, in, in a person's house. Right. Um, you know, that's inviting demonic influence. It happened in that space. So let's pray against any residue or any leftover uh, experiences of um, that evil spirit in this house. And when I talk like that, some people think that's crazy talk, but I don't think it is. And so no, I, yeah. I went through every room in that house and prayed the name of Jesus over that house, cleansed the house. And, um, you know, I think that's a completely legitimate thing because I believe there are evil spirits. Mm-hmm. And I believe we're naive and um, foolish sometimes to to discount them. So, you know, I would just go into a room and say, um, this I, I claim this room for, for the, the, the glory of God. Jesus will be honored in this room, and if there's any evil spirits here or any residue from them, be gone in the name of Jesus. You know, there's no magical incantation, but I just claim this room for Jesus. This room belongs to Jesus. This house belongs to Jesus. The people who live here want to live to the glory of God. This is a place that's going to honor God. You know, so that kind of simple language. uh, If I'm praying for a person who I think may be influenced by a demon, I would lay hands on them and, and, and... depending upon whether they were Christians or not. You know, I might cast out any demonic influence. I am not the kind of person that tries to name or asks a demon to identify itself. I've never done that. Um, I don't want to traffic in that. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over them, claim the blood of Jesus over them. Um, I'm not an expert in 
and exorcisms and don't want to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's something you said earlier where it's, we don't need to have this long conversation with demonic spirits. Right. Uh, I, I, that's really consistent with training that I've received yeah. that it's not about, you don't need to have the conversation. You don't need to try to power up on the demon. It's not your authority anyway. It's Jesus's. And on the other hand, you don't need to be afraid. Yes. Uh, so th yeah. th those are the two extremes we go to. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope that becomes practical for folks, you know, because every one of us is dealing with the result of the fall and the, um, the prince of the power of the air who's mm -hmm. at work mm -hmm. uh, in this world to oppose the, the rule of God. You know, the demons are real. The stuff is, the Bible is, you know, it talks about it all the time. And so. And all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, so with that, we'll, uh, we'll take a break from this conversation yeah. and we anticipate. There's more to talk about, but coming it's, back. It's, it's, it's gotten long. So yeah. we need to stop here. There'll be, there'll be lots of opportunities. Sure. Jesus cast a lot of demons out in Luke. So yeah. we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. So until next time, we'll sign off. All right. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.